Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. So we have been doing a study in the book of Romans, and we've come to this part of the book of Romans, and I've entitled this part, The Christian Conscience. You remember in chapter 13, we saw that Paul exhorted us to submit to governing authorities, and the reason that he gave was for conscience sake, so that we might maintain a good conscience. And then last week, we finished off the rest of chapter 13 from verses 8 to 14, and we looked at how to maintain a clear conscience before God, and we we saw that the one thing that God requires from us is that we love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and we love our neighbour as ourselves. And we saw that that's so difficult for us to do and I exhorted you last week that you need to know the time, you need to put off and you need to get dressed. Do you remember that? Know the time, put off and get dressed. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we come to Romans 14 and this is really the heart beat of where Paul talks about the Christian conscience. And uh, I'm so glad that you're here today to learn this stuff. I mean, we've been talking about the conscience. If you remember, what we've said about the conscience is the conscience is that part of our heart in which determines right from wrong, according to the highest good that we know. Uh, We've seen that our conscience is like a courtroom in our heart. It can either commend us or condemn us and convict us. We've seen that it's actually the way that God grows us is through our conscience, is that the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and he applies it to us and so that you know, we're either convicted and we sense the need to change or we're commended and we're filled with joy. And now we come to Romans 14 and look at verse 1. I want to get straight into it. Paul says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. That's what the word it uses in the ESV. If you've got an NIV, it probably will say over disputable matters. You see, when it comes to the Christian faith, when it comes to Christianity, we have a whole heap of core convictions. There's a whole heap of things that are really clear in the Bible, morals and principles that are very clear. It is always wrong to commit adultery, always wrong to love and worship another God. But there are a whole range of issues that are issues of conscience, that are disputable issues, that Christians have different opinions on. There's a whole range of things that you can't find a specific command in the Bible that it addresses. You know, for example, should you homeschool your children? Should you Christian school your children? Should you send them to public school? What type of hairstyle should you have? Should you have a flat top? When I was in the 80s, I loved flat tops. I wanted to, you know, I watched you know, Tom Cruise and I wanted a flat top or should you have a mullet or like some of the distinguished gentlemen in our church, should you just have no hair whatsoever? I don't know whether they have a choice in that, but see, there's issues of conscience that the Bible doesn't address. And yet Christians can often have very strong opinions on these things and feel very strongly about these issues. And it's actually quite, I reckon, providential that we're actually coming into this chapter because of what God is doing in our church. It was amazing last week we had a a baby dedication for Nana and Charles Bodenek and we dedicated their little baby, uh, Marie, Adele Marie. And and he's here today. Hey, Charles. It's good to see you. 
again. And um, he invited a whole heap of his friends from Ghana and the Ghanan community. And do you remember? It was brilliant. They came and they danced up here on stage. Do you remember that from last week? It was absolutely brilliant. But I think what that is demonstrating is what God is doing here. Is he is drawing people from all different places. He's drawing people from all different types of culture. He's drawing people from all different types of church backgrounds. Some of you come from independent Baptist churches. Some of you come from brethren churches. Some of you have come out of Catholic churches. Some of you have come out of Anglican churches. Some of you have come out of Reformed churches. Some of you have come out of charismatic churches. And so he's drawing all these people together. And, you know, the beauty of the church is what Paul says in Romans 15, verse 5. Look at this. Paul says this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you might with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What God wants to do is he wants to bring all these people together and together he wants us to glorify God with one voice. You know, in the Old Testament, you had the Tower of Babel. Do you remember that story where God came down and he confused the languages because people were trying to reach up and be God. And so God confused the languages. But then on the day of Pentecost, we have the Spirit is sent and then we have the apostles speaking in various tongues and various languages to demonstrate that what God is doing in the church is he's drawing people from every tribe and nation and tongue. And it's so awesome to see that that is happening in our church. That God is doing that. Aren't you grateful about that? That we have different people from different nations and different backgrounds coming together. But here's the problem that can happen when that occurs. Is you see, your conscience is not only informed by the scriptures. Your conscience is often shaped by your church background and your experience. By your culture. And so that you might see things and it just might feel wrong to you to participate in certain things or to do certain things. Uh, uh, last, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking in staff room about this issue and, and uh, Pastor Brian gave an example. He said, like, when he came first to Australia, he grew up in a particular church tradition where on Sunday you always wore a suit. And it was summer in Sydney and after church he'd been invited for a barbecue down the beach and he wore a suit still. <laughs> Because he just couldn't bring himself to not wear the suit. You see, we come from all different backgrounds and we have all different church experiences and they're informing our conscience. And so what you get when you get all these different people coming together to glorify God in one body with one voice is you can have tension and you can have struggles and you can have conflict. But I love the word that Paul uses there. He uses the word harmony. You know, this is a musical term. Let me teach you another term. It's the term dissonance. This is what dissonance is. That's fun to listen to, isn't it? You'd love to listen to that all day. Wouldn't you? Who loves that? Dissonance. Now, of course, what we want is we want harmony. Alright? So what we want is different voices coming together and working together and glorifying God with one voice. But the question will be is how do we deal with 
disputable issues. How do we deal with these issues of conscience? Because we have, we, our consciences have been informed by all these different traditions and we're coming into this one place. Now let me show you, this, was not a normal, this is not just a 20th century or 21st century problem, this was a 1st century problem. This was actually happening in the Bible. Look down in verse 2, Paul talks about this. He says, one person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, Paul is going to introduce us to two types of Christians in this text. He's going to introduce us to the weak in faith and the strong in faith. And it's very important to understand who he's referring to. And I think a lot of us get this wrong when we come to looking at this passage. The weak in this passage are not new believers who are struggling in their sanctification, who will somehow, you know, be tempted to do sin. That is not the weak. Paul actually defines for us who the weak are. Look in verse 1. He says, they're weak in faith. Now what is probably happening is that in the church, in Rome, there were two groups of people. There were Jewish believers and there were Gentile believers. And the Gentile believers were the strong, they had come to faith in Christ and they had recognized that it is in Christ alone that I am found, that my righteousness is found in Christ alone. So that if there isn't a command in the New Testament against what I can do, I am just free to exercise my conscience in that area. That's what the strong were like. Now, the weak in faith were probably Jewish believers and these Jewish believers, what you've got to understand is their whole life they had grown up with the kosher laws and with the dietary laws of the Old Testament. They'd grown up their whole life observing the Sabbath and all those sorts of rituals. And they had come to Christ, but when they came to Christ, it just seemed really wrong to them to just jettison all those dietary laws and not observe the Sabbath and not do those sorts of things. It just seemed really wrong to them because even though they'd come to Christ, the gospel hadn't yet permeated every part of their heart and their behavior. So they were still weak in faith, still holding on to these dietary laws and thinking somehow that these sorts of things you know, identify them as the people of God. And so you have the weak in faith and you have the strong in faith. Now Paul is actually part of the strong because he actually says, look in verse, uh, fifth, uh, verse 14, he says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself but it's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. He says in verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 15, verse 1, he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. So Paul said, No, you know, I've come to Christ, I'm accepted in Christ alone, so that if there isn't a command in the New Testament explicitly against this, then I'm free to do what my conscience allows me to do. Whereas the weak were saying, no, we can't jettison, we can't get rid of the Jewish customs and the Jewish law and the Jewish Sabbath. And so, now this caused a problem, as you can imagine. Look down in verse 3. Paul says, let the one who eats, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. So you can imagine that the strong were like going, what are you guys doing? Why are you guys still observing the Old Testament? You guys, you guys should be free. You guys need to get a bit of grace in your life. You guys are acting like Pharisees. And you can imagine that the same was happening from the weak. Look in verse 3. He says, And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. 
Probably the weak were saying, you know, what are you guys doing? You guys are just living all loosey-goosey and all free in grace. You might go back to the world. You need to, you need to not do that. Have you ever seen this conflict play itself out in churches? The weak and the strong, more sort of free Christians and more sort of conservative Christians? Have you ever seen that dynamic play itself out in churches? Am I just the only one? I don't think I am. Let me tell you how it played it out. And I'm going to pick on something very safe because some of you might be feeling uncomfortable right now in what I'm going to say. But let me just pick on one particular issue. I I grew up in a church where I experienced God's grace and I was a musician and I could find no commandment in the Bible that says you can't use drums, that you can't play drums in church. That's, I, I couldn't find... If you can find a commandment that says you can't play drums in church, then tell me, because I couldn't find one. And yet, I grew up in a church environment where you know, all these other people were like, no, drums in church is wrong. It's absolutely wrong to have drums in church. And so we would enter into this debate. I would despise them and say, you guys need to be free. You guys don't understand the freedom of the gospel. And what are you doing, you big legalistic Pharisees? And they, they, would, they would equally say, what are you doing, Timon? You, you, you're exercising your freedom. You're going to go just like the world. And you, know, you start playing that rock music, you never know where it will lead. And so this was all this sort of debate going on. Have you seen that before in churches? No, it wouldn't happen here at Oakton Baptist Church, would it? Have you seen that happen? You see, how do we handle those disputable issues? How do we handle the fact that for some of you, drums in church just feels wrong, doesn't it? I could say other things that feels wrong to you, but we won't go there for now. How do we handle these disputable issues? Well, this is the question that churches have had to face. And one of the ways that churches handle the disputable issues is what I call the Borg method. All right, the Borg, who here is a Star Trek fan? All right, just me and Jeff up the back. But you see, on Star Trek, there is this race, the Borg. There are a cyborg race, and what they do is they go around the universe and they try to assimilate other races into their collective, making them look like them, making them think like them. And that's the mission of the Borg. And the Borg have a particular phrase. It goes like this. We are the Borg. Resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. All right? And I reckon that's the mantra of many churches. We are the church. Resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. You see, what happens in many churches is there are actually no disputable issues. In some churches, they have no disputable issues. Everything is spelt out. What you to wear, how you to educate your kids, what you to um, read, what you to watch on television. Everything, every issue is spelt out. Very, very clearly, there are no disputable issues in these churches. Either it's from an elder or a pastor or dominant personalities in the church. They make the church a church that has just one central circle of core convictions. And every conviction is the same level. The deity of Christ and not watching cartoons are on the same level. All right? But the problem with that... The problem with that approach is that it's like the church is just singing in unison. You know what unison is? It's when everyone sings just exactly the same note. Everyone sings the same note. There's no harmony. Everyone marches to the same beat. It's like they're all marching 
There is no dancing. See, what happens is when you do that, you have external conformity, but you don't have internal reality. You put people under the law, and the heart of the gospel, the life of the gospel is lost. You see, Christianity is about this liberation that happens where our hearts are changed. We have the life of God working in us, transforming us, changing us. We regenerated by the Spirit of God and transformed through His power. And when you put people under the law, it's like you walk into these churches and there is like just an air of legalism hovering over the church. Now, on the other hand, because these churches are usually weak, weak believer churches, people who are weak in faith. On the other hand, what you have is you have strong churches where, like, you know, they don't, they don't handle any disputable issues at all. You've just got to see it. You've got to, you've got to have the freedom. And they can be loosey-goosey and not actually pursue holiness and righteousness. So how should we handle the disputable issues? But what I'd like to suggest to you is we handle them through the gospel. That's what Paul will say. It's just as the gospel is, when the, when the gospel is preached, it forms the community. Because the gospel is preached and people come and respond in faith and repentance to the free gift of salvation. Then the gospel also becomes the thing that develops the fellowship among Christians. And so what Paul is going to do in this passage is he's going to apply the gospel to these disputable issues. And what we're going to do today is we're just going to look at the first 12 verses of chapter 14. Next week is Youth Sunday, so come along next weekend and Jeremy's going to preach. And he's going to do chapter 15. He's going to do a message out of chapter 15. And then that week after, I'm going to do verses 13 in chapter 14 to chapter 15 and verse 4. I'm going to talk about the young you know, the weaker brother and the stumbling, that stumbling passage, because I think many of you don't actually understand what that means, and I'm going to talk to you about that. But today we're going to look at how do we handle the disputable issues, and my thesis is we handle it through the gospel. All right, let's have a look in verse 1. Just look in your Bibles in verse 1. Let's go back. Paul says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Here's my first point, is we need to see people through the lens of the gospel. We need to see people as precious in the eyes of God, precious children of God purchased by Christ. So we need to welcome others with different convictions because God has welcomed them. God has welcomed them into his family, so we need to welcome them. You know, uh, about um, two months ago, we had a raft camp. And it was really good. We had, um, we had uh, Jeff Spencer come and speak on our raft camp. And he said something that has really affected the way I do pastoral ministry. Jeff was speaking out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And he says, we don't, we don't consider anyone according to the flesh anyone anymore. He says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, behold, the new has come. And Jeff said, we have to see each other as new creations in Christ. You see, and this has helped me in my pastoral ministry, is that even though sometimes it can be tough dealing with people and their sinfulness, I need to see you and you need to see me as a precious child of God, purchased by the blood of Christ. 
And if God has welcomed you and accepted you, then I should welcome you and accept you as a brother or sister in Christ. So how do we handle disputable issues? Welcome others with different convictions. All right, now look down in verse 4. Now, Paul is actually going to address right now, he's going to address the weak because he's actually said to them in verse 3, he said, Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And then he picks up this idea of judgment in verse 4 and he says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. You know what he's saying? He's saying you're not the Lord and Savior of someone else. You're not their Lord. So why are you trying to control them? You're not their Lord. You're not the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is quite capable of speaking to that person and making that person stand. So here's my second point. We need to give each other the grace to grow. We need to extend grace to one another and give each other the grace to, go, to grow. You know, one of the things that God has been teaching me about his character, he's been teaching me about his patience. Peter says that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. The Lord is so patient with people. He's so patient with you. Aren't you so grateful? Aren't you grateful for the patience of God? There was one time when you weren't a believer and God could have immediately, he could have immediately judged you. But he was patient with you because he was giving you time to repent. And we need to be patient with other people. We need to give them the grace to grow, give them the space for God to speak to them and God to grow them. Man, this is really important, really significant if you're a parent. If you're a parent, you will raise a rebellious child if you try to control them, try and manipulate them, try and expect perfection from them all the time and don't give them grace to grow. You know, oftentimes we will extend grace to ourselves that we won't extend to others. We'll cut ourselves some slack. Oh, you know, you know, I couldn't keep my commitment because of this, this, and this, and this. But if someone else doesn't keep their commitment, man, we're all on top of them. See people through the eyes of the gospel. They're precious children of God. And see others through the grace of the gospel. God has extended grace to you. You should extend grace to others. God is well capable of speaking to them and changing them. Now I'm not saying, now I'm not saying that on the core issues we don't speak the truth to one another in love. We should correct each other on the core issues. But even you see what could happen is I might think something's a very core issue and I'd be very passionate about it and I come to you and you don't think it's such a core issue. And so that's why it must be done in love and discussion because I may even grow through that discussion. All right, here's the third thing. Now, you might be thinking, all right, Timon, you just, you might be really uncomfortable right now. Some of you aren't. Some of you are, are nodding off and having a little sleep, but that's okay. You can wake up, all right? I'm gracious. <laughs> um, 
you, uh, you might be thinking, you know, Timon, all right, but if, you, if, we, if we go down this line, uh, is what you're saying is that people are going to live loosey-goosey lives. Is that what you're saying? Is what you're saying is that we shouldn't just sweat the small stuff. Do you know that you know, there's a book that came up that said, don't sweat the small stuff. Is that what you're saying? That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that at all. Look, look at what Paul goes on to say in verse 5. He says this. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one, and underline this, should be fully convinced in his own mind. I'm not saying that you should live just loosey-goosey lives. You should live an intentional life, intentionally trying to please, other, to please God. See, this is what you need to do. You need to develop your own personal convictions. Be fully convinced in your own mind that you're living to honour and glorify God. And Paul actually gives us four reasons why we need to develop our own personal convictions. Look in verse 6. Paul says this. The one who observes the day observes it in honour of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honour of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honour of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So the first reason why we should develop our own personal convictions is because of our purpose. Our purpose as Christians is to bring honour and glory to God. Every day I get up and I pray Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Lord, I offer myself as a living sacrifice to you. Today, Lord, I want to glorify you with my thinking. I want to glorify you with my words. I want to glorify you with the way that I treat my children, with the way that I spend my money. Lord, I want to glorify you with everything today. Because that's my purpose. So I'm not saying that you don't live an intentional life. What I'm saying is you develop your own personal convictions based on the fact that your purpose as a Christian is to bring honour and glory to God. Second reason, look down in your text in verse 7. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Not only is our purpose to bring honour and glory to God, but we have been purchased, and now we belong to God. You belong to God. Therefore, if you are a Christian, you belong to God. Therefore, you should honour God with all that you are. Paul actually says this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He, he, he uses this. He says, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Or do you not know that you were bought at a price? You belong to God. So I'm not saying that we don't live intentional, holy lives. In, in fact, quite the opposite. I'm saying motivated by the fact that we now belong to God, we now live very intentional lives. Very intentional about the choices we make. There's even another reason in verse 9. Now look down in verse 9. Now this one took me a little while to understand, but this is a very significant reason. Look in verse 9. He says, For to this end Christ died and he lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and of the living. Now get this. Paul says Christ died and he rose again. Christ is no longer on the cross. Do you know where Christ is? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He has all authority on heaven and on earth. In heaven and on earth. And he is now the Lord of both the living 
and the dead, his lordship extends over your whole life. You see, we can be trapped into thinking that God only requires of me the core convictions, but those other disputable issues, it doesn't matter. I can just choose whatever I want. No! Christ's lordship extends over the whole of your life, in your living and in your dying. He is the Lord of all. So you need to glorify him in everything. Glorify him with what you put in your mouth. Glorify him with the way you spend your money. Glorify him with the way you spend your time. Glorify him with the words that come out of your mouth. Every single thing needs to bring glory and honor to him. But there's even another reason, which is an even more sober and serious reason. Look in verse 10. He says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. There is coming a day, even as Christians, even though our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, even though we're under the grace of Christ, there will come a day where you will give an account of your life for how you spent it. Let me tell you something. To whom much is given, much will be required. And what was given to you as a Christian? God gave his one and only son. You've been given grace upon grace. And so I'm not saying that the gospel promotes sinfulness. Quite the opposite. The gospel promotes intentional living. Holiness. Because my purpose now is to glorify God in everything. I've been purchased and I belong to Christ. Christ is Lord over everything. His Lordship extends over every part of my life. Not just in this building does His Lordship extend. It extends over the way you work for your boss, whether you're lazy. The Lordship of Christ extends over everything. And there is coming a day when we will stand before Him and we will give an account of how we spent the one life that He gave us. So you see, it's a serious, sobering thing, isn't it? The gospel should actually promote in us a pursuit of holiness. Because we see what Christ has done and we're just like, mm, I want to pursue God now. As Paul would say, I want to press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. So it's a serious thing. So, how do we handle the disputable issues? How do we handle it? How do we handle it? We see each other through the grace of the gospel. You're a precious child of God. You're a precious child of God. You're a precious child of God. We give each other grace to grow. I'm going to give you, Mike, the grace that you need to grow. I'm not going to be harsh and demand stuff for you. I'm going to give you grace and trust that God is going to work in your life, that he's going to change you. And then personally, 
we thank God for, man, what he's done for us. We recognize soberly that he's purchased us. He's paid for us. We're going to stand before him one day. We sung about it this morning, and I think we sung about it pretty lackluster. When, you know, trumpet sound and he shall come. But it's serious. There's going to be a day we're going to stand before him. So what I want you to do to apply this today, is this week, is I want you to think through your own personal convictions. As you get up tomorrow, I want you to think through those four things. Today, my purpose is to glorify God. Today, I've been, I've been purchased by Christ, so I belong to him. I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to him. His lordship extends over my whole life, and I know that one day I'm going to give an account for this day, right here, that I'm, for how I'm spending this day, right here. You see, if we just taught people that, <laughs> you know, they would be able to live out of their consciences quite clearly, you know, we don't have to fear. We don't have to run to rules. We don't have to be the Borg because we have the gospel. So much greater, so much more freeing, so much more joy. All right, let's stand together and let's pray together. Actually, I'm going to just bow my knee and I'd invite you if, you, if you're able to and if you feel led to, to bow your knee as well because it says in the text that one day is coming where every knee will bow before the Lord in submission to him. I'm going to bow and I'm just going to pray. And If you want to bow with me, feel free. Father, we are just in awe of what you're doing in our church. You're drawing people from all different backgrounds to join together as one voice to glorify you and honor you. And I pray, Father, that we would see each other through the grace of the gospel. And Father, we would also sense the seriousness of your gospel's call on our life to bring honor and glory to you with our whole lives. Father, I thank you for the precious children of God that you've gathered into this church. And Lord, may we together be honoring in your sight. Father, I pray.